but I'm here tonight to uh, share with you about the Word of God. And uh, I don't think that there's anything that is more important. I realize that we're living in a day when uh, some people have, there's a lot of different ideas about the Word of God. Uh, there's two uh, passages I'd like to start out with tonight. The one is in Deuteronomy 29, and I'm, I've uh, heard this verse used to excuse uh, studying the Word. It says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, and he says, they, they stop there. And that's what happens in many scriptures. People will pick out one saying or one verse and stop when the next verse should be included. Uh, the last part of that verse is, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The other one is in 1 Corinthians 2 and uh, about verse 9 uh, where it says, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And I heard that verse many, many times growing up. And the, uh, uh, one of the first times that I was at the Weaver Town Church, uh, Aaron Blick used this verse, but he read the next verse with it. It says, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now the fact remains... We don't know anything about God that He has not revealed. But I do believe that God wants us to know about the things that He has revealed. And of course, uh, uh, I doubt, I don't believe I see very many here that would remember uh, Millwood Bible School. There's several of us here. And uh, that was a very rich experience for me for several years. I'm not quite sure how many years I did that. But we'd gather together uh, uh, from Monday through Friday, 9 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon for two weeks. And uh, those were rich times, and I thank God for having had that, that privilege. And so we are uh, here tonight, and I'd like to kind of give an introduction here. And I want to, this evening, uh, basically explain why I believe what I believe. And... Uh, I had a, in a journey, I was uh, 
1975, I was asked to go to Arkansas to teach uh, a Bible school uh, for youth. And, uh, of course, I had a lot of things that I... Uh, that I had learned throughout the, in several years' time, especially uh, from Millwood Bible School. But I learned in, uh, in that year that uh, not everybody believes the Bible the same way. And so I want to, first of all here, I want us to... Uh, uh, maybe we should ask the question, what is prophecy? Well, prophecy is the oral or written message of a prophet, the inspired declaration of divine will or purpose. Now, prophecy never could be produced by the will of man. God only knows the future, and he has spoken concerning the future. The men who were used of God to communicate prophecy, spake or spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And as I said, we don't know, we wouldn't know these things if they were not written for us. And uh, so prophecy shows a divine unity. History does not interpret prophecy. History is predicted in advance by prophecy. In interpreting prophecy, prophetic scriptures must be compared with prophetic scripture. Prophecy must be taken as a whole. And uh, prophecy begins at uh, Genesis 3.15 and the consummation of all prophecy in, is the kingdom of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15.28. Now the victory of God in his son is the complete defeat of Satan in Revelation 20. Every prophecy is a part of prophecy having one and the same object and therefore and can therefore not be interpreted by itself independent of the rest. So I want to talk a little about the importance of prophecy and uh, the prophetic portions of scripture constitute about one-fourth of its content. So uh, a person that says uh, you know, that he doesn't think prophecy is important or that he doesn't study it or read it, he's simply ignoring about one-fourth of what is written. And biblical prophecy is the key that unlocks the treasures of God's Word. Understanding prophecy and its practical application to our lives is essential to reflect God's holiness. And I'd like to turn to a couple scriptures there 
in, in relation to that. We have there in uh, Titus, the uh, second chapter, and uh, here the uh, talks about some of these things. And Titus 2.11 The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's see. 1 John 3 talks about uh, the... Uh, Does not yet appear. Uh, I think it's a story there. First John three, and beginning in, in verse two and three. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. And it says, And every man that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself. And uh, I just like to emphasize the fact that I believe the Word of God and especially the prophetic Word uh, does something for us. Uh, it encourages us. It is our hope. In fact, uh, uh, as I say here, prophecy has a special priority in the Word of God. It affects our attitude toward evangelism, toward morality, toward sin and righteousness. Now, prophecy is not intended to open the future to idle curiosity but for the higher purpose of furnishing light to those whose faith needs confirming. Very interestingly here, psychiatrists say, uh, we need three things to have a happy, meaningful life. Something to live for, something to hope for, and something to love. God has given us these three things in Jesus Christ. We know because of the prophetic word. And here's a statement that I have noticed and I, I see it again and again that in all ages the prophetic word has been like a ray of hope for the believer. And uh, you know uh, our hope is in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our hope is made valid and alive by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the first prophecy 
was a prophecy of restoration and it was a hope of Adam and Eve. Now, in Genesis 4.1, uh, when uh, Cain was born, uh, Eve said something about having received the man of God, and, uh, or from God, or something like that. And it almost seems like uh, uh, they would have uh, kind of anticipated. And as we read uh, the story of Israel, and uh, I'm talking about uh, it comes through in some of the in some of the scriptures in relation to Israel, but in extra biblical writing, uh, the one thing that uh, it seems there was among the believers that sentiment with women uh, that if they were barren. Uh, you know, there was something missing about the possibility of being the one who eventually was married then as a virgin. Uh, that's just a side note, uh, something I picked up in some of my readings here. Uh, it, was the, it was the promise of God's ultimate victory over Satan that moved Adam and Eve to holy living. The first priority of biblical prophecy is to produce righteous living. Now we have in Revelation 19, 10, that uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus bears witness of his resurrection, his presence in glory, his coming again, and the blessed things that connected to that day so fully revealed in God's word. All prophecy concerns the Lord Jesus Christ and all scriptural proclamation of the coming events are a testimony concerning himself. Now I'd like to go into uh, any comments, anything you would like to say, or any questions in relation to what we said here, in relation to the prophetic word? Do other uh, occult and so on, do they have prophecy? The question was, do cults? Do other cults have prophecy. Uh, maybe you need to say more. I'm not quite sure. Well, I... Uh, they don't... None of them do. They, they're not from... not from God. And so... The Quran doesn't have one thing about prophecy. Not a thing. And the Bible is about one-fourth filled with it. And how much hope do they express? For every two verses in the Old Testament about Jesus coming the first time, there are at least eight verses in the New Testament about his second time. So prophecy is a lot stronger. It's more spoken of in the New Testament than it is in the Old. Yeah. Well, I'm going to hear 
uh, in the introduction uh, touch on the interpreting of scripture and uh, I, I don't plan to every evening talk about, uh, talk about premillennialism and amillennialism. How many know what those terms mean? Many people don't know what the terms mean. Now, uh, the uh, premillennialism is simply uh, before or prior to millennium or a thousand year reign. And that, of course, uh, is arrived by a literal interpretation. Now, <clears throat> there is uh, all millennial would mean there will be no millennial. All is not. And uh, I'm going to go into that a little bit. It's an, they use an allegorical method of interpretation. And I look up the word in Webster's Dictionary, what, what does allegorical mean? Well, it's, it's basically uh, uh, kind of figurative and is involved in uh, mysticism and you name it. Now, Webster says, having a hidden spiritual meaning that transcends the little sense of a simple text. I have difficulty with, with saying that there is something that transcends a literal interpretation. And so, um, I started saying about my experience, my first experience at Bible school, and I discovered that most of the teachers on our team were teaching their subjects with an allegorical method of interpretation, or may I say a non-literal method of interpretation. I came home from that Bible school and I thought, now, am I wrong? How, how do I, how do I get over this? And so I started reading books. And uh, so, um, I noticed basically all of the all-millennial writers that wrote on prophecy referred to a man by the name of Augustine who adopted this method of interpretation. And so uh, I said to myself, who's Augustine? And I started reading about Augustine. And then I was really confused. And I said to myself, surely there's got to be another Augustine. Because if I would teach what Augustine taught, 
They wouldn't ask me to teach at the Bible school. And so I, I started working through this, and uh, I found some writings of the early church believers. And uh, the early church support, the early church writings support premillennialism. You have the Didache or teaching teachings of the Twelve Apostles, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Epistle of Philippians by Polycarp, and the Second Epistle of Clement, and all that. You have Justin Martyr, uh, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Commodius, Nepos, and Cyprian, and Latinus. Uh, these were all men in the early church. And so, uh, uh, I started uh, putting this together and uh, tried to find out where this Augustine got all his information, only to discover that, uh, let's, uh, let's go down over here quickly, the church and premillennialism. I, I have a book that I, uh, in fact, I have several books, but I have one that is written by Robert Schenck. And uh, he wrote earlier, Life in the Sun, which was a very well-known writing. And uh, then he came up with this, Until the Coming of Messiah and His Kingdom. And in... In the back of this book, he has an addendum on the church and the millennium as to what the church believed in the millennium. And when I was finished with this, I decided that there's no question what I believe and where I stand. And I'll let a touch on a few of those things here, but it is commonly agreed by the best modern historians that from the death of the apostles to the time of Oregon, and this man here is mentioned in this book, and very <coughs> far out, I think, in his whole idea. To, uh, let me start over. It is commonly agreed by the best modern historians that from the death of the apostles to the time of Oregon, premillennialism was the general faith of those who were regarded as strictly Orthodox Christian by Samuel Kellogg. Premillennialism was a doctrine of the Christians in the first and second century. Millenarianism was the general belief of the time and met with almost no opposition than that given by Gnostics. Very interesting that uh, there's where it began. Now, Justin Martyr professes that all good and orthodox Christians of his time believed it. Uh, the question was, will there be a millennium according to Revelation 20? And uh, he said, those that did not believe that, he reckoned among the heretics. The millennial kingdom of Christ 
was the general doctrine of the primitive church from the time of the apostles to the council of Nicaea, AD 325 inclusive. Now, uh, we have a whole list of early church believers. Again, I have some of these names before. Irenaeus, he was a pupil of Polycarp, who was a personal disciple of John. Justin Martyr, Polycarp, Papias, Melita, Hippolytus, Tertullian, Ignatius of Antioch, and Commodius. And uh, again, we have several more, Clement of Alexander and so on. We have some writings that support uh, the Epistle of Clement, again, the Didache, or the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, all support that, Epistle of Barnabas and uh, Polycarp's Epistle to the Philippians. So now we get into the opponents of the literal interpretation of Scripture. And uh, the first person that is mentioned uh, was Caius or Gaius. He was a Presbyterian at Rome. He was the first anti-millenarian known to his to historian. Now, to bolster his case, he denied John's authorship of the Book of Revelation. Now, I don't know uh, how negative I should get to where we are today. I'm seeing writings of men who, who claim that uh, the book of Revelation, uh, that, yeah, that the book of Revelation was written before the destruction of Jerusalem. And so, how far do we go? That is not according to, to history outside of the Bible. Of course, we don't have the given time in the Bible either. But uh, to uh, make his case stand, he just simply denied John's authorship of the book of Revelation. Oregon, I don't have with me. I thought I had his, uh, the year he was born. I just found that uh, he died in 253. And uh, I have reference to uh, him here in this book. And if I may just uh, give you a sampling of what he taught and uh, in relation to this uh, new method of interpreting scripture. And of course, uh, this came out of the, uh, the School of Alexandria, where you had the Greek philosophers who were taking Greek philosophy in a, and attempting to make it fit or synchronize with scripture. And uh, so, for a sample here of, uh, of Oregon, 
where he says that uh, uh, he's regarded as a uh, okay, the foundation for the allegorical method of interpretation which Argan adopted further developed and systemized Argan taught that the scriptures are to be understood on three levels which correspond to the three aspects of man, body, soul, and spirit. Number one, the semantic or literal sense corresponds to the physical body and can be understood by ordinary Christians. The psychic or moral sense corresponds to the soul or mind and is intended to provide ethical guidance for those who can understand. Thirdly, the nomadic or spiritual sense corresponds to the spirit and can be understood only by Christians well advanced in mysticism. And of course, it's noteworthy here that Gnosticism divided man into three classes, the physical, fleshly, and the carnal. And so, uh, that uh, helped me to clinch for myself what I believe is scriptural. And even... Uh, there is, I don't have that marked in this book, but there is a place where, where uh, Argon says that on, in, the, what he, in the apocalyptic scriptures, where there are figures of speech used and all that, but he said that unless you find a hidden meaning, you probably don't have the right meaning. How do I know when I find that hidden me? Is that what we believe is correct according to, as we understand the scriptures? At one place, I wish I had that marked out there, but he says that, uh, he uses a little different term than what we're used to, he says that the scriptures posit a millennium is no question. But because of this and this and this, we believe it's otherwise. We don't believe it's like the scripture says. <coughs> now, there is that where I've been approached. Uh, where they tell me that uh, that if I uh, if I uh, take everything literal, I don't allow for any figures of speech or any allegory. But that's that's not the way it is. To take the scripture literally means that when there is an allegory. We take it as an allegory. 
When there's a figure of speech, we take it as a figure of speech. But we never make a figure of speech or an allegory out of a literal statement. It's like people will read the newspaper. They'll read their magazines. And they'll believe what they read. They'll close the book and think that's the way it is. They'll read something in the Bible and close the book and say, I wonder what that means. Well, it basically means what it says. Jesus Yoda used to tell us that if the Bible doesn't mean what it says, no one can say what it means. So if I don't believe Revelation 20, where you have a thousand years mentioned six times, and we don't believe that it's going to be that way, then how can I be sure that John 3.16 means what it says? If there's one scripture that doesn't mean what it says, as it was written in the original, as God gave it, then it puts a question on the rest of the book. All right, uh, any question, anything you'd like to add here? You mentioned in regards to John's writing prior to 70 AD, or no? You mentioned that earlier. Well, I'm saying, uh, I read uh, an article that was written, a man that was, uh, you know, uh, was uh, trying to make a literal interpretation uh, look foolish. And he said, according to research, uh, the book of John was written before the destruction of Jerusalem, which would have been AD 7. I have several Bibles, and Peter might have said 96 AD. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. It is generally thought that uh, the book of Revelation wasn't written until about 90. Okay. Somewhere around there. But see, you have to, they're doing that to support what, uh, what they uh, are wanting to do here. All right, uh, anything you'd like to share here? One thing about origin, he, he suggested that the devil would someday be saved. That's in his writings. Well, there's, there's uh, some interesting things out there. Uh, I uh, read one man uh, where he said that uh, the new heaven and the new earth, the church is the new heaven and the new earth. And I said, oh my. Is that all there is to it? Uh, we have given by Peter that we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And
And I understand that to be saying that when we get to that place, everything will be right. The environment, there will be nothing to distract us from the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're uh, looking forward to. And uh, any, anything else here? Trying to find my next, uh, somehow everything got mixed up. <coughs> uh, you won't be able to read that. John, go on the top where it says view in that top. You should be able to make that full screen on that. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to uh, then in, uh, right, maybe we should go there now, uh, get the uh, <coughs> kind of the overall picture of God's plan. See, I believe, I believe that when God started, uh, we have given in, uh, Ephesians 1 and several other places that uh, the plan of salvation was in place before the creation, before the foundation of the world. And so we now um, uh, are at a place where we believe that the next event will be God calling the church out. And uh, I don't think that any time, there was a time in, since creation, since God started, that he changed the rules or that he decided to do it some other way. And he's going to do that. Now, the uh, scope of history. Uh, is anybody here that has ever uh, given account to the dispensations? Uh, they call it dispensationalism. You have these different years of time. And somehow, God has... Uh, chosen to uh, reveal a little bit at a time of himself and of his plan. Now, what I call the ultra-dispensationalism, what do they have? Six, seven different periods. And it's almost like you come to a certain point and another dispensation starts as if now he's finished here. Where I don't, uh, I don't claim to fully understand all that, but I see it more that uh, as you get to another era, then you have two flowing together. You get down to the next one, now you have three flowing together. 
And when we come down to the, to the end, everything is together and everything is, uh, is part of it. And so we have in Genesis 3.15 uh, where he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between her seed and your her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, if we wouldn't know anything more than that, we probably have difficulty understanding what's this talking about. But as time goes on, God adds a little bit more to it. We go then to, uh, to Noah and then uh, the blessing of his sons there in 927. He says, God shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the, in the tents of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. There he had Noah's three sons. And so he he, uh, there's something about Shem. And of course, Abraham was a descendant there of that, of that line. And uh, talks about Japheth would be the Gentiles who are uh, brought in uh, through Christ. And so you have kind of like the blessing of that. Now I'd like to and notice especially here from Abraham, the Lord had said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them Curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, what is being said there? Do we do we believe that? Now, I uh, find it interesting. I have talked to people, and uh, who claim that they. Uh, they have, uh, they can trace their lineage back to Abraham. I was talking to an older man in Belize a number of years ago, and he got started talking, and he said they were, they were here before Columbus and all that, that he can trace his lineage back to Abraham. And I think that's, that's an attempt to connect in to God's blessing on Abraham by, by lineage. Unaware or maybe never were taught or never uh, considered the fact that this, uh, our connection to this blessing is in Jesus Christ. It's Christ that makes that connection. Now, 
1 Corinthians 10, 32 makes an interesting statement where Paul said that we should give none offense either to the Jew nor the Gentile nor the church of God. And so he makes a distinction of three classes of people. And that's the way he deals with the people. Now, Grant, in the church, Jew and Gentile is alike. Outside of the church, God has a special place for Israel. God has a special place for the church and a special role for the church and a special role for Israel. And somehow in all that he brings the Gentiles in also. According to Romans uh, 9, 10 and 11. We're living in a day and as I was reading uh, about Oregon and all that I had never somehow realized that he brings that in. But they bring in the idea that God is finished with Israel. And the church has replaced Israel. And I don't think, uh, pardon me if I'm too uh, dogmatic here, but I think there's nothing further from the truth. The Bible doesn't say that. I don't know what they do with all the Old Testament scriptures that say God is going to bring Israel back. Now, here, uh, maybe we should go to Genesis 17 and notice what he says here. Where he says, I will bless her give and give thee a son also and her. I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. And Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Abraham said unto God, unto God, All that Israel might live before her. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And uh, of course he uh, also uh, brings in Ishmael there, but the, the message is very clear that the seed will be from, from Isaac. And that, uh, and included in all that is bringing in the Messiah. And the, uh, let's see, uh, lost my uh, thought there. Uh, what I wanted to say is that we believe that there are still some things 
that are included in God's covenant with Abraham that have not been realized. If the church has replaced Israel, then apparently God cannot do what he he cannot fulfill that covenant. And so, uh, just to wrap this up here this evening, is that uh, uh, we believe, I believe, as I understand the scriptures that refer to the millennium and the setting up of an earthly kingdom with Christ ruling with a rod of iron for a thousand years. I believe in that era, God will finish and will bring together everything exactly the way that He planned from the beginning. Very interesting here, uh, when God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I will make my covenant with you. It was not a, uh, an, uh, er, a time when they wrote out an agreement. God had something in plan. He said, here it is. You accept it. And I will bless you. And the same way when God made covenant with Noah. He says, I will make my covenant with you. Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's the way it does. And so we believe that it will be just like he planned it from the beginning. Any questions? Any thoughts? Anything you would like to share? Yes? Is all Israel going to be saved someday? I believe that's what uh, that's what Romans 11 says. How that's going to be, I don't know. But see, there's there's something about the new covenant. We think of it as the New Testament, and the New Testament time. That may be part of it. But I think as we go through the Old Testament, we see that God has a special, uh, the new covenant that Ezekiel talks about, where he's going to make them clean. I mean, I don't understand. I don't know how, he, how he's going to do it. I neither do I understand how I can be included. I mean, it's a marvel I'm even here. I should have been cast out from where I was. Do we think God isn't able? See, uh, I just see more and more how that God has an overall plan and it's as Someone said one time, going through the attributes of God, 
and the teacher said that all the attributes that we can list, and there may be many more that we don't even notice, but he said one of the marvelous things about the attributes of God is that he is all of them all the time. He never has to lay down uh, one to do the other. But it's, it's right, and it's the way he planned. All right, I think I'm going to bring this to a close. Uh, did anybody have anything? Is, uh, is Amy here yet? Uh, maybe you have something. Uh, uh, I'd be open to some suggestions for our next meetings. Uh, we're, Lord willing, planning to have a meeting every last Thursday of the month. And uh, uh, I'd be open to uh, suggestions. I don't know where, where you people are. There's, there's so many places we could go. I would like to, uh, I would like to go to the, uh, to the book of Daniel some evening and look at that. But I think first of all, I uh, uh, started here going down to the, uh, to those, uh, how that God at certain places, he singled out uh, uh, Shem, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, uh, down through more and more, he he uh, reveals uh, part more of his plan, and uh, we have this uh, in Genesis 49, then where uh, uh, Jacob. Uh, blessing his sons, and he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And we believe that's talking about Christ. And God said to Moses in Deuteronomy, He said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And uh, we have all those. And when uh, when he came, uh, somehow they didn't hear him. But uh, we want to see how that somehow God uh, laid that aside. The children of Israel did not accomplish, did not uh, attain everything there. And uh, we want to look at that in our next session, and if you have any suggestions, there's something that you you would like to uh, like me to share, I'd be willing to go wherever uh, you're interested.